Good evening. My name is Vivian Catfield, and this is Haunted Muse, a podcast of my freshly written speculative fiction and the often stranger-than-fiction stories behind it. This week, as I have pondered various ideas for our 139th episode, the 29th of Season 2, A Season of Short Works, I decided that I wanted to do a Krampus story. If you've never heard about Krampus, the European goat man who punishes naughty children around Christmas time, I've included a link to an article from History.com about him in the show notes. He's sort of the polar opposite of Santa Claus, and in our current times, when so many parents tend to spoil their kids a little bit too much, well, I think that new accounts of Krampus's exploits are warranted as a warning against misbehavior. Also, if you're a fan of Saturday Night Live, last week Bo and Yang did a hilarious sketch about Krampus being burnt out on his job and quiet quitting because there are just too many naughty kids out there for him to deal with nowadays. I've included a link to that clip too in the show notes. Last, I set the story purposefully in New York as a sort of homage because it seems so many Christmas movies of my childhood, from Miracle on 34th Street to Home Alone 2, took place there. However, the end of my story contains a little less than perfect transformation for the lead character. But it's a start. Oh, and just so you know, the one-eyed pig is inspired by a pig with the same name in real life that my stepsister owns. As I have said many times, truth is often stranger than fiction. I'll say no more for now, but instead allow the magic of the season to unfold for you as you listen to this week's tale, which is called A Visit from Krampus, a short story by Vivian Catfield. Petra Gehrig was the most insufferable 11-year-old girl in Manhattan. Although not the prettiest by a long shot, she perceived herself to be, which was all that mattered. Since the age of eight, she'd had a social media account called Switcheroo, in which she took pictures of what she deemed to be the worst fashion faux pas of her fellow students at the expensive girls' school she attended, and then gave them full-body makeovers in Photoshop, accompanied by various snarky witticisms about the improvements from their before-to-after looks. Not surprisingly, the post-makeover shots made all of the other girls look like Petra. The ad revenue from Switcheroo alone had turned Petra into a millionaire by age 10 and endeared her to all of the luxury re- retailers on Fifth Avenue, who called her the voice of the next generation in fashion. The parents of the girl she posted, however, called her a nightmare because Petra's constant criticism of their daughters forced them into spending a greater fortune than usual to clothe their offspring in the latest styles. Petra lived with her parents, their chef, personal trainer, and housekeeper on the Upper West Side. Before they bought their penthouse, the doctors Gehrig had looked at many more expensive penthouses on the Upper East Side before deciding that it was too posh and thus inconsistent with their parenting lifestyle brand which they wanted to maintain an image of that appeared grounded and authentic. The doctors Gehrig were child psychiatrists who hosted a long-running syndicated television show in which they debated two opposing theories of child-rearing. 
Mrs. Dr. Gehrig favored a highly structured approach, with every second of a child's day meticulously scheduled beginning at dawn, and full of individualized lessons by private tutors who are experts in every subject, from marine biology to modern art. In contrast, Mr. Dr. Gehrig favored a more organic method, preferring to observe a child's natural inclinations without any interference at all, while taking notes to review with a child in non-judgmental meditation at the end of each day. On their show, the debates regarding the merits of these approaches was entertaining, but in practice, they found it impossible to maintain. Nanny after nanny threw up their hands and left swearing in confused frustration at the conflicting directions given by her parents during Petra's first few years of existence. At last, unable to hire any more new nannies, the doctors Gehrig gave up and decided to parent their sole offspring on their own. By then, it was too late. Overschooled according to her mother's heavy scheduling, Petra had grown physically quite round from sitting in front of her laptop for 10 hours a day and simultaneously smarmy about her intellectual superiority. Left by her father without any disciplinary enforcement to follow her instincts, without regard for congeniality, Petra expressed her disdain for her peers' inability to hold up their ends of conversation regarding her esoteric ramblings through a regular barrage of vicious verbal sniping, both online and off. The end effect of it all was that by the time Petra Gehrig reached the age of 11, her parents declared their experiment in raising her as an ideal child an unqualified success. In their minds, they had produced a daughter who was brilliant beyond all comprehension of ordinary people. Petra was ranked first in her class at the exclusive girls' school because all of the teachers were terrified to give her anything less than a perfect score on all assignments for fear of incurring endless hours of the doctor's Gehrig's haranguing. Also, although Petra showed no aptitude for singing or dancing, she'd been featured in a Broadway musical. Petra's mother had badgered the city's premier vocal coach into informing the casting director that their daughter's talent was one in a million. After uncovering this deception, the director had merely turned Petra's mic off and had the remainder of the cast dance around her, while Petra remained center stage, posing resplendently in the best costumes that money could buy. Further, indulging Petra's whims for exotic travel had resulted in a best-selling book on the importance of preserving the endangered ecosystem of the Galapagos Islands, which had literary critics calling Petra a prodigy. No one noticed that all of the breathtaking once-in-a-lifetime photographs were taken by her father, or that the text was ghostwritten by a formerly prominent environmental journalist whose ability to write under his own name had been ruined by scandal. Petra's golden-haired visage still beamed from the author's photo. Despite these dazzling accomplishments, however, or perhaps because of them, since Petra's parents regularly reminded their television audiences that the only possible obstacle to their producing a child as unequivocally admirable as Petra was the inevitable envy of others who would jealously try to impede their rise to prominence, Petra Gehrig had only one friend, her 300-pound, one-eyed pig named Prozac. Petra had first met Prozac the pig on a day that her father had taken her upstate to observe her interactions with domesticated animals. At that time, the Gehrigs had no pets because Mrs. Dr. Gehrig claimed to be allergic to pet dander. 
However, after Petra successfully argued in her end-of-day meditation that pigs had no such dander, but were actually very easy to train as emotional support animals, her father had agreed to buy her. Although Prozac was supposed to be a miniature pot-bellied pig, it soon became apparent that she would grow into a full-sized sow. Nevertheless, Petra continued to walk Prozac up and down Central Park West every day on a rainbow-pattern Louis Vuitton leash, daring any dog owner to cross their path. Like her mistress, Prozac grew to be a vicious girl, only she used her teeth instead of words to cut down anything standing in her path. Even after one of Prozac's more violent street confrontations with neighborhood canines left her with only one eye, they continued their daily excursions. Undaunted, Petra slapped a custom-designed diamond-studded eye patch on the pig and off they went, both enjoying the extra attention brought on by the spectacle. Prozac accompanied Petra everywhere, even to all of the most extravagant restaurants and lavish stores. No one said a word because the 100% sustainably harvested Mongolian black cashmere sweater that the pig perpetually sported was emblazoned with the words, Emotional Support Pig across her broad back in scrolling silver thread. Just in case anyone might have the audacity to question the legitimacy of Prozac's role, the pig wore around her neck an engraved Tiffany's card case, containing copies of a terse explanation of her importance, along with the contact information for the doctors Gehrig and their legal team. Although she'd never had to utilize this resource, Petra was comforted by its presence particularly during the holidays, when the owners of so many shops were in a hurry to get customers in and out as swiftly as possible, and might be less inclined to indulge the whims of a spoiled 11-year-old girl. Busy with taping their live holiday gratitude special, the doctors Gehrig had no time to personally purchase gifts for Petra. Instead, as had become their custom ever since Petra's last nanny ran away screaming, they handed over their black cards and hailed a horse-drawn carriage to take both girl and pig to Bergdorf Goodman's. Although she complained that it was traditional black rather than her preferred shade of Princess White, Petra grudgingly accepted the ride with a resigned sigh, because it was at least decorated with white lights on top. Multicolored lights would have been intolerable. From her parents, she'd learned that one must occasionally make the best of less-than-ideal situations. As the carriage swirled around the south end of Central Park, along West 59th Street, Petra spied the Woolman Ice Skating Rink, crowded with hundreds of holiday revelers arrayed in every manner of cold-weather clothing. Thinking it a perfect opportunity to find particularly hideous fashion, about which she could post photos and her signature corrective commentary for Switcheroo, Petra commanded the driver to stop and let her out. Just as Petra and Prozac were about to cross the Gapstow Bridge, a dark, hairy figure appeared, blocking her path. The creature stood over ten feet tall, with the head of a ram and long, twisted horns that curled skyward like twin tornadoes from the top of its head. Its body was goat-like, too, covered in thick, shaggy black fur. Its hands and feet were pairs of cloven hooves. Petra squealed in fear and tried to run away back down the path, but Prozac lowered her head and charged forward. Raising its left hand, the creature arrested both girl and pig in mid-flight, spiriting them off the ground. "'Put me down, you—you—' you. 
Petra screamed and sputtered, at a loss for what to call the creature. Krampus, the goat man croaked, and I would be glad to put you down. Swirling its hoof in the air and ending with a sharp downstroke, Krampus pulled Petra and Prozac swiftly into place right before him and dropped them on the bridge. What do you want? Petra demanded. I don't carry cash. All I have is plastic. Krampus laughed, a hoarse, sickly wheeze that sounded like the breath of a dying man. <laughs> I don't want your money, Krampus replied. His golden slitted eyes narrowed. All I want is to know what you want for Christmas. Why would I want anything? Petra snarled, angry that she'd gotten her bright white Prada puffer coat dirty when she fell. Wanting presents is for poor people. If I see anything I want to buy, I just buy it whenever I like. But there has to be something you want that you cannot buy, Krampus insisted, crossing his arms and stroking his beard in thought. Because I'm afraid that I can't allow you to cross my path unless we exchange gifts. Petra rolled her eyes and struggled to stand up. However, for some reason, her legs felt numb, like they'd fallen asleep. For the first time, she began to feel more apprehensive than angry. Okay, fine, she said, moderating her tone slightly. Glancing toward her intended destination of the ice skating rink, Petra replied, I want people in general, even those pathetic ones over there, to be less disappointing, to be fashionable, quick-witted, and have impeccable taste. Their common ugliness annoys me, and I would like to be free of it. Hmm, Krampus rumbled again massaging the long tuft of hair that sprouted from his chin. So, what you're saying is that you want everyone else to be just like you. Yes, Petra said quickly. That's all I want. I have everything else. Then, muttering under her breath, she snarked, <laughs> Good luck with that. Without another response, Krampus clacked his front hooves together four times and then gestured for Petra and Prozac to cross the bridge. As Petra stepped onto the ground on the other side, a sudden gust of wind turned her hair over her head. Furious that her long blonde hair frizzled and crackled with static, despite her meticulous Brazilian blowout, Petra clawed it away from her face. When she could see again, she couldn't believe her eyes. The landscape of the park had completely changed. The trees were much shorter and the winter brambles wilder. As Petra made her way along what she thought must be the trail to the ice skating rink, she noticed that the people walking along the pathways were different too. Women were dressed in luxurious fur coats over long dresses with pinched waspish waists that matched their prim expressions. Spying Petra and Prozac as they passed by, one pair of ladies snickered behind slim-gloved hands casting derisive looks in her direction. Even without hearing their words, Petra knew that they were gossiping about her. What's your problem? Petra demanded abruptly. Don't you know who I am? The women stopped and tucked their hands back into their muffs. The shorter one shrugged and the taller one replied, I haven't the foggiest clue. A lost swine herd, perhaps? She gave a tiny snort, setting her companion off in a peal of giggles. I'm Petra Gehrig from the Upper West Side, 
My parents are psychiatrists. Last week, they were on the cover of the New York Times. Seeing the two women crinkle their noses in disbelief, she added, And I'm famous, too. I have my own brand. Germans? Famous? The taller one scoffed. Perhaps for producing sausages. I bet that's your mascot, then, the second one added, elbowing her friend and pointing from Prozac to Petra. Plump little things, these German girls, stout like shoats. Adorable! She puffed out her cheeks in an exaggerated imitation of Petra's round-cheeked face. I've heard it's all the hard labor, her friend nodded with a shudder. Rounds them out with muscle so that their figures are just ruined. Such a pity. Reaching into her shiny, silver, bugle-beaded bag, the taller woman pulled out a penny and offered it to Petra. Here, girl, it's a penny. Go buy yourself a cup of hot tea. You look a bit bedraggled, and that, oh, that coat, she tutted. It looks like a flour sack stuffed with old wool, all lumpy. It can't be very warm, and it certainly isn't very stylish. Petra slapped the penny from the woman's outstretched hand. How dare you call me fat? And my parents are both doctors, I'll have you know. They're rich. I don't need your charity. This coat is Prada. The taller woman gasped in shock at the blow, and her friend took a step backward away from Petra. Careful what you say, Marjorie, she cautioned, tugging at her elbow. These new lower-class immigrants can be very excitable. You don't want to rile her. Didn't you hear her say something about a psychiatrist? She might have escaped from the asylum at Bellevue. This was exactly the sort of thing Ethel was warning us about at Bridge Club last night when she was arguing that the new streetcar routes made the higher addresses too accessible to the masses who have no business there. (sighs) The poor things become filled with delusions of grandeur. Poverty, starvation, and lack of education drive them completely mad. They can't even control even their basic bodily functions. It's our duty to make sure that they're looked after. They can't do it for themselves. Then, to Petra, she bent over and said in a very clear, distinct manner, as if speaking to someone who didn't understand her language, I'm sure you didn't mean it, dear. Wait right here, and we'll find someone to take you back where you belong. Straightening, the shorter woman waved to a police officer standing nearby. Yoo-hoo, officer, we're in need of assistance. This stout little German girl is lost and so confused. She's even got her sweater on her hog instead of herself. Could you please... Petra didn't wait to hear the rest. She bolted back toward the bridge, but just as she set foot upon it, Krampus appeared again, blocking her escape. What's wrong? Krampus croaked. Don't you like your present? I gave you precisely what you asked for. A hundred and fifty years ago, all of New York's wealthiest girls were exactly like you. Fashions may change, but people do not. No, they aren't like me, Petra insisted. They're pompous and conceited, and they think that they know everything about what's best for everyone, when in reality they know nothing. Hmm... Krampus pondered, twisting the curl at the end of his long goatee around the end of his hoof. Self-reflection can be difficult for the willfully blind. Perhaps it just takes time. 
Regardless, now that you've received your gift, you must reciprocate by asking what I want in return. Otherwise, I cannot let you pass back into your own world. Hearing the policeman's whistle as he churned gravel running up the path behind her, Petra panicked. Uh, Okay, okay, anything you want, just let me out of here. Krampus grinned, bearing a mouthful of long, sharp fangs, top and bottom. His forked tongue flickered out over his cracked, thin lips, tasting the air like a snake, as his yellow eyes fixed on Prozac. I want her. Then, before the pig could even squeal, Krampus leapt upon Prozac's back and sunk his teeth deep into the thick flesh of her neck. Petra fled across the bridge in terror. Stepping on solid ground on the other side, Petra was hit by a second enormous gust of wind, just as she had been before. By the time she'd untangled her hair and chanced a backward glance, both Krampus and Prozac were gone. Although she continued on in the carriage to Bergdorf's, Petra was in no mood for shopping when she arrived. At least, not for herself. She bought her mother an Hermes scarf and her father a pair of Gucci gloves, and then spent the rest of the afternoon following other families around the store. Whenever she saw a little girl looking at something with shining, hopeful eyes, but then their parents shook their heads no, Petra approached them and asked if she could be allowed to buy the gift for the child herself. Usually, after a bit of stalling, they agreed. Sometimes, they didn't. Regardless of their choices, Petra yielded to their wishes, never once pushing them to change their minds about the gift or her offer to purchase it. By the time Petra arrived home, two police officers were standing in the reception area of her parents' building. When she'd been late returning, they'd called in a missing persons report, but then went on ahead to a dinner party at Gracie Mansion, not wanting to pass up a coveted invitation. Although they'd tried to lay blame for the false report on Petra's disobedience, the police thought otherwise, and called them both in for questioning on charges of child abandonment. Ultimately, finding that no harm had been done to Petra, the charges were dropped. However, their reputation as America's leading child psychologists was tarnished. The doctors Gehrig lost their television deal and had to return to seeing real patients in order to earn their living. For both of them, it was quite a blow. In the weeks that followed, Petra altered the mission of her switcheroo account. Word had spread about her generosity that Christmas Eve at Bergdorf's and the nature of her audience changed almost overnight. To keep up with her new discourse, Petra stopped making fun of other girls' fashions. Instead, she sought out young women who were dressed particularly tragically and offered to buy them better outfits. Although she often cringed at their choices, even when the girls were given almost unlimited funds for self-improvement, Petra posted only supportive comments, accompanied by flattering photos of the results on her feed. Petra lost a few followers, but not many. She did gain a few friends, too, though. Some of them were even willing to be her friends in real life, not just online. And as for Prozac the pig or Krampus, well, Petra never saw either of them again. This is the end of A Visit from Krampus, a short story by Vivian Catfield. Tune in next week for another new story here on the Haunted Muse podcast.
Until then, this is Vivian Catfield reminding you to have a Merry Christmas and also to remain ever watchful because you never can tell. Whether it's Santa Claus or Krampus, someone or something, somewhere out there just might be watching you.